Special thanks for this show to the proprietor of ChrisPriestMusic.com. Chris Priest, of course. Details on that at the end of the show. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from MarkFiore.com, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Le Show, On the Media, The Now Show, Media Matters, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Colbert Report, It's All Politics, The Rachel Maddow Show, and The Daily Show, with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. News in a nutshell. From the canyons of Wall Street to the Gulf Stream waters spans the trail of voluntary regulation or, trust me, what could possibly go wrong? And so that trail came to a watery conclusion in the Gulf of Mexico, where oil companies were left to pretty much make sure they were doing things kind of rightish until things went wrong. I'd so rather be on holiday with my mum. She lets me sleep in my money jammies and makes me warm crumpets in the morning. But cherubic oil executives were not the only ones practicing auto-profit safetyfication. But trust me, what could possibly go wrong self-policing method popularized in the Bush years had spread to coal mining, food safety, and most famously, banking and financial whatchamacallits. But soon it became apparent voluntary regulation was not working out exactly as planned. And those who espoused its wondrous benefits were suddenly crying out to the heavens above for government intervention. So after much death, destruction, and mayhem, the trust me, what could possibly go wrong method was replaced with trust me, it's what we meant all along, with an extra helping of it's Obama's fault thrown in for good measure. Good night, and you're stuck. All right, here is your first quote. We care about the small people. <laughs> that was Carl Henrik Svanberg. He's the chairman of a company which he managed to make even more hated than it was before he opened his mouth. What company? Um, is that BP? It is BP. Finally. Very good. Yes. Finally, something BP does worse than operating deep-sea oil wells. <laughs> Apologizing. The company's chairman came to the White House to meet with President Obama, and afterwards he offered that expression of sympathy to the millions affected by the disaster. Now, people tried to defend him. They said, well, you know, English is not his first language. This is true. In Swedish, to, quote, care about the small people is an idiomatic phrase. It means, bite me, America. <laughs> During the meeting at the White House, of course, the big news was that BP agreed to put up $20 billion for a fund to help victims of the disaster. Although first, the chairman of the company was allowed a tearful goodbye to his money in private. <laughs> Be strong. I will always love you. <laughs> the government, though, the government is going to hold the money because BP just isn't any good at keeping things from leaking away. <laughs> you let them hold on to $20 billion, and the next thing you know, it's spread all over Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Thank God the government's got it. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's going to work out. <laughs>
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the good stuff. First of all, here is a Texas Republican Congressman Joe Barton on Thursday. I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for anybody else, but I apologize. I do not want to live in a country where any time a citizen or a corporation does something that is legitimately wrong is subject to some sort of political pressure that is, again, in my words, amounts to a shakedown. So I apologize. That's uh, Joe Barton Thursday at the uh, House hearing where Tony Hayward and... uh, Tony Hayward of, of, of BP testified. He was apologizing to Tony Hayward for the fact that Hayward had to go to the White House and uh, participate in that heist, uh, so-called, so-called by the uh, Times of London. Uh, reported, according to uh, reporting from Politico, the online uh, politics website, after Republican leaders threatened Barton that he either apologized for his apology or lose his role as ranking member of the committee. Barton apologized for his apology. That's a first. I apologize for using the term shakedown with regard to yesterday's actions at the White House in my opening statement, and I retract my apology to BP. So that's that's a double. That's a twofer. Now uh, we have the... Um, chairman of BP, the internationally uh, renowned Carl Eric Svonberg, who uh, came out and uh, said this in defense of Tony Hayward. He's frustrated because he cares about the small people, and we care about the small people. I hear comments sometimes that large oil companies are, are greedy companies or don't care, but that is not the case in BP. We care about the small people. Swanberg said later he was sorry for uh, using that terminology. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to the American people on behalf of all the employees in BP, many of whom are living on the Gulf Coast. Well, that was his earlier apology, but he actually then came out and said he, he had sp- spoken clumsily by referring to those hurt by the company's oil spill as small people. I spoke clumsily this afternoon, and for that, I am very sorry, said Svonberg. Uh, a listener advises me that uh, even though there were uh, those who defended Svonberg who said that it was a, an awkward translation from Swedish, from Swedish, uh, the words small people, that this this would be apropos. Uh, Swanberg recently divorced his wife and is now dating Louise Julian, chairwoman and chief executive officer of EF Education First AG, described on their website as, quote, the world's largest private education company that specializes in language training, unquote. So he, he'll, be, he'll be less clumsy in the future, maybe starting now. Sure we care, we care deeply. Always try to be safe cheaply. Small people. Yes, they're small, but they're very peeply. There's an escrow fund for legit claims. We'll take numbers and we'll take names. Pay you faster. Than you've ever seen Unless you've gone and hatched some smallish scheme Small people Small people Catch shrimp, 
some catfish. Small people get their lives back. That's our wish. Small people. They're the last folks that we want to squish. We'll hire you to clean our mess. And can you, if you talk to the press, we'll make you whole and make it right. But maybe after a little legal fight. With small people, small people. Small people. Look so teeny from way up here. Small people. Look bigger. Whenever they get near, small people. That's the only thing that we fear. We know we've goofed up many a time, made mistakes, maybe a petty crime. We've dug a hole. Now we got to climb. We'll spoil birds, but we'll never slime. Small people. Small people. Small people. It's your culture we want to preserve. Very least that you deserve. Small people to do anything less would take such nerve. We know you're not really small. In our corporate eyes, you stand tall. You fight so hard. Get your dues. In that way, we're just like you. This week, a House committee held public hearings on the BP oil disaster, where BP CEO Tony Hayward underwent a grilling. For weeks, both legislators and experts on cable news have tried to put the mounting disaster in perspective by making comparisons to the size of the Exxon Valdez spill in 1989. Twenty years ago, the Exxon Valdez spilled 11 million gallons in the water there. And fishermen say... To put that in perspective for you, the Exxon Valdez spill dumped 11 million gallons of oil. It was a tremendous destructive catastrophe for Alaska, and it was only 11 million gallons of oil. But where did that figure, 11 million gallons, come from? Many people, including Ricky Ott, a marine toxicologist, author, and former commercial fisher, argues that 11 million was Exxon's very early estimate, and not the actual amount. Ott, who was in Alaska during the Exxon Valdez spill, says it was a dubious figure from the start. Right off the bat, day one, uh, when I was in Cordova flying over to Valdez, we heard that there was a low-end estimate of 10.4 million gallons and a high-end estimate of 38 million gallons. And the next day, it was nudged up to 10.8 million gallons, and the media just captured that number. Already, 10.8 million gallons was horrific. It was the biggest oil spill in our nation's history. It was big enough for the media. Are you saying that the media simply ignored the high-end estimate, or Exxon stopped repeating it? Exxon never said it in a press conference. Just when the media started to ask questions, 
Where did that 10.8 million gallons come from? Has it been independently verified? Frank Iorossi, the owner of Exxon Shipping, at a press conference said, alcohol may be involved. And I kid you not, I witnessed the entire international media just switch tracks. And that was how we got 10.8 million gallons rounded up to 11. A couple years later, when I saw the movie Wag the Dog, I saw that scene where the president was just about to get nailed. And a plant in the audience says, well, what about the bombs in Albania? And the whole media switched to bombs in Albania. And I rose up out of my seat and I said, that is how we got 11 million gallons. And my two friends each grabbed a wrist and pulled me back down into my chair. (laughs) And I just swore that I would never forget 38 million gallons. So you're essentially saying that the media have the attention span of a puppy. In other words, they ask a question and then uh, the uh, Exxon Valdez managers go, look, a squirrel. And then they're off and running and they forgot what they asked. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Did we ever find out how big the spill really was? There was one person who said, all you have to do is measure what's left in the Valdez, and then you can figure out how much spilled. And the Valdez was supposed to hold something like 53 million gallons, right? The state of Alaska went and hired independent surveyors because they were preparing for a lawsuit. This was a secret investigation. The code word for it was ACE. Each of the two independent surveyors tracked the amount of water that offloaded from Exxon Valdez, which amounted to around 19 million gallons. We have to remember that 8 of 11 cargo holds were ripped wide open. There was a 21-foot tide going in and out twice a day, and it just acted like a washing machine. So if you add 19 million gallons of water in with the 11 million gallons of oil that we know spilled, you actually end up with closer to 30 million gallons. And that's what the two surveyors estimated spilled between 30 to 35 million gallons. So why is the 11 million number still quoted everywhere? Why isn't it now regarded as disputed? When the data popped out, the secret investigation popped out in public, four years later, it was no longer news. And it's extremely unfortunate because we did write legislation at the federal level and at the state of Alaska to protect us from an Exxon Valdez-sized oil spill, which means that we are underprotected by three times. Do you think the media have been smarter when it comes to the Gulf oil leak? Have we seen some progress then? No, I'm sorry to say, because all the numbers are repeated that are given by BP. There's no demand by the media to say, where's the independent monitoring? Our government didn't even ask for it. What I thought was hilarious was when BP actually started uh, claiming that it was recovering oil, and suddenly the recovery numbers were greater than the spill numbers. So the next thing you know, the spill numbers had to jump up. But the media still is not asking BP the question, how much of what you're recovering is water? So what is the lesson here for reporters? The minute we have an oil spill, assume that it's going to be underreported on the how much spilled and overreported on how much was recovered. And the reporter should be framing questions for the American public. Why are we taking the spiller's information without questioning it at all? Why isn't the federal government out there? Why aren't the universities out there? We know how to get accurate information. We should be monitoring everything the spiller does. Are you sure that that information is accessible? Can the government and academia and the experts that you refer to really go down there and uh, get the information that is available to the oil companies? It's not a matter of going down there. BP released to the public that underwater flow that we keep seeing, that video. That was not high definition. That was very low quality. And it turns out BP all along had a high definition video camera down there. They just didn't release it to the public. And if experts had been able to see the real flow in detail, they would have been able to estimate. Yes, because that's what they're doing now. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. 
The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. A cheerful thing that we've learned in the last month is that it turns out the world isn't running out of oil after all. <laughs> There's loads of it down there. You just make a tiny hole and it comes out all by itself. Here's John Finnemore. Poor old BPA. Eh? You let one measly oil rig blow up. You let one measly billion and a half gallons of oil a day pour into the ocean, and suddenly everyone's all tetchy with you. It's practically racism. <laughs> Boris Johnson certainly can't understand the hating. He said... Uh, uh, BP has uh, presided over a catastrophic, catastrophic accident, uh, which, which is trying to remedy, uh, but uh, ultimately it, it cannot be faulted because it was uh, an accident that took place. Uh. <laughs> so they can't be faulted for the accident because the accident was an accident. I don't know, I think it is still technically possible to fault them. Uh, you know, for little things like ignoring contractors' warnings, economising on safety measures, and the ludicrous oil spill response plan they prepared, in which they and other oil companies included plans to deal with the effect on wildlife, such as seabirds, seals, and walruses. Very laudable. Except that the walrus is a cunning beast, and it actually has its own survival plan. At the first sign of an oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, the sagacious walrus instantly stays exactly where it is in the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> and doesn't swim 10,000 miles south to play in the oil. Isn't nature marvellous? So to be honest, they could, they could probably have left the walruses out of it. As the old saying goes, look after the dangerously under-maintained pipelines and the walruses will look after themselves. <laughs> Though to be fair, the oil companies did acknowledge their mistake. One executive said, uh, It's unfortunate that walruses were included and it's an embarrassment that they were included. Well, that's my new favourite apology ever. <laughs> I hope to hear a lot more of that in the future. Uh, Mr. Capello, are you sure you're happy with the squad you took to South Africa? Uh, well, um, it's uh, unfortunate that um, walruses were uh, included and it is an uh, embarrassment that they were um, included. <laughs> Sarah Palin had some advice too, always words to gladden the heart. She criticised Obama for not doing enough to stop the leak, and when asked who she thought he should have asked for help, she replied, The Dutch. They are known in the Norwegian. They are known for dikes and for cleaning up water and for dealing with spills. Wow. She really has an answer for everything, doesn't she? Oil rig explodes. Who are you going to call? The Dutch. They're known in the Norwegian. What seems to be the troubles? Oh, hooray, it's the Dutch. You really think you can help? Sure, I'm Dutch. I'm always cleaning up waters and dealing with spills. <laughs> so you have some spilled water you need cleaning up? Well, we've got millions of barrels of oil pouring into the sea. Hey, close enough. <laughs> tell you what, I'll give the little boy who put his finger in the dikes a call. I'll tell him to go get his snorkel. <laughs> Just in case the Dutch don't have all the answers, BP are doing their best to sort the leak out themselves. So far, they've tried pumping it full of mud, putting a cap on it, firing shredded car tyres and golf balls into it, and cutting the pipe with robot submarines armed with mechanical shears. Is their chief scientific officer Wiley Coyote? <laughs> It certainly seems like it, given that one of the setbacks they've suffered is that a ship they were skimming the oil into caught fire when it was struck by lightning. <laughs> At which point the captain was left holding a wooden sign reading rats before he and it turned to charcoal and crumbled to a heap on the deck. <laughs> and heaven knows BP seem to be doing everything they can to rub Americans up the wrong way. Like letting cheery Cockney chief executive Tony Haywood pop up all over the media saying things like, oh, what, my life back? <laughs> or telling the media the leak was tiny in comparison to the very big ocean. <laughs> Which is like saying that the cock 
cockroach is tiny in comparison to the very big plate of soup. It, it doesn't help. <laughs> and then when people not unnaturally start loathing him, to reply... I'm a Brit! Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And then, as if BP were worried Chirpy Tony wasn't getting them hated enough, on Wednesday they wheeled out their chairman, Carl Henrik Svanberg. <laughs> Excellent baddie's name. To say to the press... We care about the small people. <laughs> Which, whilst obviously good news for some of us here... <laughs> ...still sounds just a little bit, you know, evil. <laughs> and that's when I heard the story about the new machine for cleaning oil-polluted water that's been invented by Kevin Costner. <laughs> Really? Uh, not just Kevin Costner alone, though. That would be silly. No, Kevin Costner and his scientist brother. <laughs> so, it's all fine. Kevin Costner's sorting it out with the machine he's invented with his scientist brother. <laughs> Hang on. What this has to be is a James Cameron film. <laughs> with the sort of budget that he can command post-Avatar, he's realised he can just make his stupid plots happen in real life. <laughs> It explains everything. The cardboard villains, the robots, the black president. So... <laughs> I used the, uh, the Now Show investigative journalism budget to fly over to LA and I got hold of next week's scripts. Obama and Tony Haywood will give a joint press conference when suddenly Haywood will give a cheery chuckle, hitch his thumbs into his braces and say... Oh, blimey, Governor, lighten up. Worst things ever at sea, you know, hey? <laughs> Obama will revolve, revealing a huge screen on which will loom the giant face of Carl Henrik Svanberg. Mr. President, I think you will live to regret this. And so will all the small people. And suddenly, both on the screen and in real life, giant robot crabs armed with huge mechanical shears will march out of a sea and into every coastal city of the United States. And as Obama quakes in fear, Kevin Costner will burst into the room, accompanied as always by his scientist brother, played by Kevin Costner in an Einstein wig. Mr. President, we've invented another machine. <laughs> and then all news channels worldwide will suddenly fade to black and a voice will intone... Want to know what happens next? To carry on experiencing this interactive 4D movie, call this number. $100 buys you a ticket. $500 guarantees you won't be a victim. <laughs> so, start saving up. And if you can't afford it and you end up in three weeks' time bobbing around in the oil, fighting off the robot crabs, just remember... Follow the walruses. <laughs> they will lead us to safety. In the news today, Media Matters identified at least 62 instances of media conservatives defending BP, 21 of which were criticisms of BP's escrow account, calling it a White House slush fund or a shakedown, and 15 were examples of conservatives deriding investigations of the company. Here are just a few examples. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a shakedown. No doubt British Petroleum cooperated in it. It was just like yesterday was a show trial in Congress. It's exactly how a blackmailer will hit you. You give in once and they keep coming back for more. They've got you. You pay one time and they'll keep coming back. Glenn Beck, of course, took it to another level. A beer summit, yeah. But he can't meet with the guy who's the president of BP? Tony Hayward. Are you kidding me? This is akin to racism, except it's capitalism. How is that not um, stereotyping all capitalists? Stop talking about jobs being lost in a murderous, hateful industry like it's a bad thing. Now... Last week, I may have hurt a few feelings when my response to the complaint that jobs will be lost in the offshore drilling business was, fuck your jobs. <laughs> but I meant it, and it goes double for burning coal and chopping down redwoods. Sorry, roughnecks. But eventually, you're going to have to find something else to do. Try building windmills. You know what happens when windmills collapse into the sea? A splash. 
you know, it's, uh, it's Washington gospel that jobs in the private sector are better than government jobs. You even hear Democrats saying it. But oil jobs are private. And look at the toll this industry takes, cooking the planet enslaving us to Saudi Arabia, killing animals. If the government hired away all the 58,000 oil workers who work now in the state of Louisiana and paid them their same salary to work repairing infrastructure and building solar panels, it would cost us $5.5 billion, which the Pentagon loses every day in the couch. <laughs> Wouldn't that be worth it? Is is working on an oil rig really that great a job anyway? You spend weeks at a time on a floating well in the ocean? If you want to avoid your family that bad, take up golf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the oil industry creates jobs. So does the kiddie porn industry. <laughs> I mean... Can you imagine someone making this argument? that business must be allowed to dump toxic waste straight into our waterways because treating it is expensive and that will cost jobs and growth. Well, is that really so different from someone on CNBC talking about the need for continued deep water drilling? Which brings me to this. I don't care if it takes steel domes and robots with saws. I don't care how much cement, mud, and garbage has to be shoved down the hole. Something has to be done to plug up Louisiana Senator David Vitter. <laughs> David Vitter is a values Republican who a couple of years ago got caught valuing hookers more than his wife, and this week he finally found a place to draw a line in the now shit-brown, flammable sand of his home state. He told President Obama, you must not stop drilling because it would affect jobs and growth. Yes, David Vitter says a moratorium on more drilling could potentially be devastating for Louisiana. Only a Republican can look at a dead ocean and say, boy, I sure hope big government doesn't turn this into something bad. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe your job needs to go when it starts killing things. Maybe this whole mess is a sign that people who work in the oil industry should look into producing something else that's less immediately harmful, like asbestos suppositories. <laughs> or a season of The Bachelor starring Joran Vandersloot. <laughs> you know, a man can get another job. I used to be a luggage handler at rentboy.com. <laughs> That didn't mean I do it for life. Jobs come and go. But once a species is extinct, it's forever. Calling something your job doesn't make it sacred. Paulie Shore used to have a job in the movies. Now he doesn't. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Until the pain is so big, you feel nothing at all. Working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school They hate if you're clever and despise a fool Till you're so fucking crazy you can't follow the rules A working class hero is something to be Nation, as you know, as I'm sure you've heard, BP is still struggling to stop that leak in the Gulf of Mexico. A task made almost impossible by the fact that it's 5,000 feet under the surface of the ocean. The only thing lower than BP's blown well is their stock price. <laughs> Jim? As if BP doesn't have enough to worry about. 
Today its stock closed at a 14-year low. A total of $82 billion of the value of the company has been wiped out since the start of, this, of the oil rig disaster. $82 billion lost. God, it would be such a tragedy if any Pelicans owned BP stock. But, folk, I gotta say, it's BP's well, so the only person to blame is Barack Obama. And it's not just me saying it. It's former British Secretary of Trade, Lord Tebbit. Wow. Lord Tebbit. Cool. Anyway, former Secretary of Trade, Lord Tebbit. Knock it off. That's enough. Lurch over here doesn't like how President Obama has blamed BP, saying of our president, the whole might of American wealth and technology is displayed as utterly unable to deal with the disastrous spill. So what more natural than a cruel, bigoted, xenophobic display of partisan, political, presidential petulance? My. Yes. Quite a cold, cutting continuum of cruel consonants, Count Crumpet. Bring me another child to feast upon. <laughs> Bring me man flesh. Now, obviously, obviously, I think BP should take responsibility for the oil spill, but I do share their confusion about the decline of their stock. They've studied the matter, and today they released this statement. The company is not aware of any reason which justifies this share price movement. Yeah. What reason? I mean, hey, I know BP is a soulless corporate giant that could very well kill all life on our East Coast. But why is their stock going down? I mean, this mass, think about it, think about it. This massive oil spill in the Gulf isn't their whole company. They have a lot of liquid assets, like their ruptured Trans-Alaska pipeline and their massive spill in Prudhoe Bay. So investors, just stick with BP, and I guarantee you, eventually, we'll all be in the black. <laughs> Folks. That's my stock pick. Put everything in BP. Then she took another hit on the pixie dust All in, all in, you got me all in Crank the music up, let it never end All in, all in, you got me all in Till the sun come up and we start again What's changing in the Gulf of Mexico? Is that situation in some sense getting under greater control? The cap got knocked off this week, but then the cap got replaced. Do we have a little more confidence in the combination of what BP is doing and the combination with the government's efforts? Do we have a little more confidence that this is in some sense or another under better control? I don't think we do. I think even though Obama's numbers have not changed much, I think there's still a general feeling that the Democrats and the president have not done the job that everybody wants them to do, although nobody knows how to do it. But Whatever that was, it wasn't perfect. Exactly. But I think, as we've seen many times this year, Republicans have given them cover by the blunder. I assume it's a blunder although he may not say it's a blunder, by Joe Barton, the famous apology of last week to the BP uh, Tony Hayward. And this like is that. an interesting question. I mean, Joe Barton was roundly criticized by Republicans as well as Democrats, and, oh. and he skinned back his, his apology under pressure, under by pressure the Republicans. from his own party. But this week, much less noticed than the original incident, 
the Republicans quietly decided not to take away his ranking member status on that committee, which means if the Republicans take control of Congress this November, Joe Barton will be the chairman of the Energy Committee, which is Mr. A, BP. Which is the subject of a DNC commercial. But if Republicans were in charge, this is the guy who'd be overseeing BP. I apologize. He apologized to BP and called the recovery fund a tragedy. So I apologize. And yet the Republicans did not remove him from that position. Why? Well, why is because the apology. They said, I mean, that was a deal from the beginning. They said, if you don't apologize, you're no longer the ranking Republican on energy and commerce. He said, okay, I'm apologizing. But at the same time, he, on his Twitter account this week, he put a link to an article that said Joe Barton was right. Now, if that's not retracting the apology to the apology, then I don't know what is. What do you think and, he thinks? Well, he anyway, thinks he was right. Anyway, yes, and mysteriously, that Joe Barton was right link disappeared from Joe Barton's website, probably also under pressure from the Republicans. I think Joe Barton actually spoke his mind the first time we heard from him on this. He thinks it was a shakedown of BP. His sympathies are with the oil and gas industry. And, you know, if you just shift the story over slightly to discussing the moratorium on deepwater drilling that was overturned by one court, the by six one judge, moratorium. the six-month moratorium, that brings a whole lot of other Republicans out of the woodwork saying, no, 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 you know, the oil and gas industry is our friend. The oil and gas industry is something we support, and they support us, including the judge who made the decision, who owned quite a substantial Martin amount Phillips. of stock in Transocean, one of the companies involved in this blowout, plus a lot of other oil and gas stocks as well. So I think that there's a relationship here that's pretty uncomfortable for the Republican Party between them and the oil and gas industry and many elements of the Democratic Party. Well, you could also make the argument that a moratorium on drilling in places like Louisiana would be really detrimental to the state's economy. And I think Barbie Jindal says that. Uh, Haley Barber says that. Members of Congress say it. But at the same time, there's another report that came out this week that BP is preparing more drilling in Alaska and... Inland, onshore. With very little safeguards in place. We've seen that they have a kind of pedal to the metal attitude towards how you go after these resources. And that, of course, is what has been incentivized by the market and allowed by the government. The government has not regulated them with an eye towards protecting the environment or the workers. It's been regulating them with an eye towards collecting the revenues that can flow from this oil and, of course, supplying more domestic oil so we're a little less dependent on foreign sources. So the practical message out of this is still the president and the administration do not get high marks for their handling of it, but the political message, I think, is that the Republicans in Joe Barton may have bailed them out, at least the temporary political gain in the fact that there are now commercials blasting the Republicans and Joe Barton for being in the pocket of big oil. What we all expected today here on Capitol Hill was this image. The CEO of BP, Tony Hayward, one hand in the air, pledging to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about his company causing the biggest environmental disaster in American history. That's the scene that we were all expecting today. What we were not expecting today was that BP, having just agreed to fork over $20 billion for the victims of their disaster, what we didn't expect is that BP today would receive a personal apology from a member of Congress at today's hearing. I'm ashamed of what happened in the White House yesterday. I think it is a tragedy of the first proportion that a private corporation can be subjected to what I would characterize as a shakedown, in this case a $20 billion shakedown. I apologize. I do not want to live in a country where any time a citizen or a corporation does something that is legitimately wrong is subject to some sort of political pressure that is, again, in my words, amounts to a shakedown. So I apologize. Republican Congressman Joe Barton of Texas, the top Republican on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, expressing his deepest apologies to BP twice. 
He's sorry BP is having to pay and that the U.S. government is making them pay after BP caused the biggest environmental disaster in American history. Just to be clear, Joe Barton is apologizing to them. After that, after a few hours of holy cow, he said what panic on the Republican side of the aisle, Congressman Barton returned to the hearing room to try to clarify his earlier remarks. I think BP is responsible for this accident, should be held responsible, uh, and should in every way uh, do everything possible to make good on the consequences that have resulted from this accident. And if anything I've said this morning has been misconstrued in an opposite effect, um, I want to, uh, to apologize for that uh, misconstruction. I want to apologize for the misconstruction. I in other words, I, I want to apologize for you all getting it so wrong. Now, politically, this is obviously a big Joe Barton problem. Joe Barton is a former executive at the old oil company, Arco. He is the single largest recipient of oil and gas money in the entire U.S. House of Representatives over the last 20 years. His single biggest career contributor is Anadarko Petroleum, which owns one-fourth of the Deepwater Horizon well that is currently fire-hosing its contents into the Gulf of Mexico, which may explain why this isn't even the first time this week that Joe Barton expressed sympathy for BP. This reminds me a little bit of a, a Monday morning a call-in radio talk show after the Redskins have blown another one. Um, everybody has an idea of what should have been done, and now that they know what was done and it wasn't done properly, uh, they're much smarter than the coach on the field and the quarterback on the field uh, at the time. So it's very easy to second-guess and to uh, point out the, uh, uh, the problems yeah, yeah, it's so easy to say this was done wrong and that was done wrong. It's so easy. What exactly is the alternative to doing that, Congressman Barton? What would you rather us be doing at this point, if not that? Something did go wrong. There are problems to be pointed out. Should we just not talk about that? Do we just say, oops, and ignore what's going on with BP from here on out? In that same hearing earlier this week, Congressman Barton also said that the Chinese are currently drilling off the coast of Florida. And so we can't just let them have all of our oil. We have to keep drilling there. Of course, it's not true that the Chinese are drilling off the coast of Florida. It's, it's not true except on right-wing talk radio. But hey, what, are we going to try to make everybody walk through conspiracy theory detectors on their way to the floor of Congress now? So yes, this is most definitely a Joe Barton problem. But Joe Barton is not an outlier here in the Republican Party. And this is the most important thing about what happened today. He is not an outlier by any stretch of the imagination. Yesterday, after the White House got BP to agree to set aside $20 billion for oil spill victims, the House Republican Study Committee blasted out a statement declaring that, quote, the Obama administration is hard at work exerting its brand of Chicago-style shakedown politics. Just like Joe Barton attacking the White House for getting BP to set aside $20 billion for oil spill victims, even using the same shakedown epithet. The House Republican Study Committee isn't a little outlier either. It's not some one random congressman from Texas tied to the oil industry. The House Republican Study Committee is 114 House Republicans. It's two-thirds, nearly two-thirds, of all Republicans in the House. So keep this in mind when you consider the huge uproar and apology over what Joe Barton said in the House today. His I'm sorry Sorry, BP. Sorry that the Obama administration is being so tough on you. This is not a Joe Barton problem. This is a problem shared by a big majority of all the Republicans in the House. And there's more. When Senator John Cornyn, chairman of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, was asked about Joe Barton's comments today, Senator Cornyn said, quote, I share the concern. Yesterday, Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman defended BP's honor by accusing the White House of wanting to use BP as a, quote, permanent ATM card, part of a broader effort, she said, to, quote, take over private industry. Last week, the top Republican in the House, John Boehner, suggested that BP shouldn't have to pay the full financial burden of this disaster, that taxpayers should foot some of the bill, too. He later had to walk back those comments. 
Listen, th this oil spill is not a political disaster. This is a disaster disaster. But the political consequences of it are turning out to be astonishing. This is uh, like, like in boxing. You, you think you're facing off against some big, tough opponent who's talking lots of trash and has a great record and it seems really impressive. And then you find out that that big, tough opponent actually has a glass jaw. Joe Barton and the Republican Study Committee and John Cornyn and John Boehner and Michelle Bachman and Haley Barber and all the other Republicans who have stood up for BP since this disaster started have revealed the Republicans' glass jaw on this issue. Republicans are pledging to fight Democrats to the death to stop energy reform. What are they going to fight with? Their great speeches by Joe Barton? They're going to marshal public opinion to their side in their passionate defense of the company that every day continues to cause and inflict this disaster upon us? It is one thing just for the entertainment value to sit back and watch politicians embarrass, embarrass themselves in moments like this. But strategically, this is an important moment. This shows an incredible weakness in the Republican Party. Republicans have said they're going to stop energy reform. They're going to stand up to Democrats on energy issues. Their bluff has now been called. What you saw today is what Republicans have to offer the public in terms of an alternate vision on energy. Apologies to BP and criticism that a fund for victims of this oil spill is unfair. Unfair to the company that caused the disaster. Democrats should feel free to do whatever they want to do on energy. In political terms, there's nothing on the Republican side to constrain them. That's what was learned today. You're not supposed to just point and laugh at the guy's glass jaw. You're supposed to hit him there. I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Obviously, beyond addressing uh, the cleanup of the oil in the Gulf, President Obama's speech had a larger goal. For decades, we have known the days of cheap and easily accessible oil were numbered. Now is the moment for this generation to embark on a national mission to unleash America's innovation and seize control of our own destiny. I believe we can fly. <laughs> Using non-petroleum-based technology <laughs> or giant magnets or hamsters running simultaneously <laughs> some other type of energy source that we haven't quite <laughs> now is the moment to dramatically improve our environment and move beyond a petroleum based economy unlike in 2006 this country can dramatically improve our environment move beyond a petroleum-based economy, and make our dependence on Middle Eastern oil a thing of the past. Yes! <laughs> but see, back then, in 2006, we didn't do it. Because oil dependence had at that point only entangled us in two simultaneous wars. But now, it's gotten us into two wars and a giant spill. That's the push we needed. <laughs> Although, I don't know, two wars and a giant spill, it's an awful lot to overcome and also do the get off the oil thing. You know, I wish we'd taken care of this energy problem 10 years ago when there was no war and the economy was great. That would have been a great time to develop a long-term energy strategy. We need a long-term energy strategy to maximize conservation and maximize the development of alternative sources of energy. And we would have done it, too if he hadn't have gotten distracted by that other spill. Which, 
I should add, also took five and a half miles of boom in the Navy to clean up. Mm. Mm. That's why they call him the big dog. If only the guy before Clinton had thought of this. There is no security for the United States in further dependence on foreign oil. Yes. And he would have done it too. If it hadn't been for these showing up. Ooh. Ooh. That thing could really tow the boat I don't have up the mountain I don't live near. I bet, wait, I bet the four guys before him would have gotten us off foreign oil, too, if they had thought of it. We will continue supportive research leading to development of new technologies and more independence from foreign oil. This intolerable dependence on foreign oil. New standby emergency programs to achieve the independence we want. We will break the back of the energy crisis. We will lay the foundation for our future capacity to meet America's energy needs from America's own resources. <laughs> Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Fool me eight times. Am I a f***ing idiot? I must be an idiot. So counting Barack Obama, the last eight presidents have gone on television and promised to move us towards an energy independent future. Before that, I'm sure they probably did it on radio. Well, why? Why didn't it work? Why couldn't we do it? It's not like they didn't have good ideas. Wind turbines, nuclear energy, solar bank, energy efficient windows, energy efficient homes, natural gas, hydro, American coal, solar power, ethanol, not just from corn, atomic power, wood chips and stalks or switch grass, fuel cells, natural gas, zero emission coal fired plants, solar panels, better batteries for hybrid and electric cars, methanol, ethanol, plant products for gasohol. Let's just use oil. You know what? We have to. I will not allow the dinosaurs to have died in vain. So we had good ideas and we're good people. We have the world's highest level of technology. We have the know-how. We have the ability. Our unyielding faith. Worthy of a great nation. We have the most skilled workforce. Our resilience. America is a rising nation. We are an unstoppable oil dependency breaking machine. <laughs> Unfortunately, the machine runs on oil. But, but, this whole thing is maddening. Maybe we just need a deadline, hard and fast, like we did with the moon. In 10 years, we will go to the moon. And in 10 more years, be somewhat bored by doing so. We just need the president to lay out reasonable time parameters. At the end of this decade, in the year 1980, the United States will not be dependent on any other country for the energy we need by 1985. By the year 2000. Within a matter of three or four years, if we'll just get after it and treat this like it's important. Another great goal, to replace more than 75% of our oil imports from the Middle East by 2025. <laughs> so Nixon says, let's get off foreign oil by 1980 which somehow becomes, let's not use as much foreign oil by 2025. <laughs> We've redefined success and still failed. <laughs> which brings us to perhaps the strangest aspect of this sad, some would say Groundhog Day-ish saga. Of all these eight men of incalculable power who tried and failed to get us off of oil, one stands head and shoulders above the others as far as actually doing something for the environment. Who? I'll give you a hint. What's got four fingers and resigned in disgrace? This guy. <laughs> he created the Environmental Protection Agency. 
He signed the Clean Water Act of 1972, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, when the Cuyahoga River was on fire in 1969. He put it out with his own urine. <laughs> but even Nixon, even Nixon couldn't get us off oil. And this was a guy who, by the way, was not afraid to bend the rules to get things done. <laughs> couldn't get it done. Because you see, it turns out Nixon had one major flaw. No, not delusional paranoia coupled with living in an ethical netherworld. No. <laughs> you know why Nixon couldn't get this done? We will establish a new system that makes high-quality health care available to every American in a dignified manner and at a price you can afford. Because Richard Nixon was a communist. <laughs>
everybody will be uh, completely in awe of us and uh, and will cower before us. So check that out. Of course, there's a link to Podcast Alley on bestofleft.com. And of course, uh, right on the homepage, podcastalley.com, you'll see the top 10 list where if all goes to plan, you will see all three of our shows listed and you can click one uh, right after the other and, and vote for all three of us. Hardly takes any time and you help uh, progressives not only stay in the top 10, but as I say, dominate. And now number three, for those of you out there, and I know you're out there, uh, you're not usually the ones who write me angry emails telling me to shut up, but, uh, but for those of you who are out there who enjoy listening to what I have to say at the end, I have a special treat for you because last month I was interviewed by The Podcast Podcast. It's a podcast about podcasts. And uh, so they, they interviewed me, and it was a barrel of laughs. Uh, really uh, had a, a genuinely good time. And the, that episode just posted. And so I would like you to go check that out. It is at, as you might imagine, thepodcastpodcast.com. Of course, it's known as the Pod Pod to uh, friends and family. So if you just head to thepodcastpodcast.com, you will see that my show is the most recent episode. You can check it out. You can subscribe, hear what they're all about. They asked me about the show, got a little bit of history, some behind the scenes. We had some laughs. Definitely worth a listen if you're not one of those people who fast forwards through what I say at the end of every show. As, you know, frankly, I, I wouldn't blame you if you did. So there you go, three up, three down. Those topics were taken care of. I want to thank a couple of members. Stephen G signed up for his monthly membership on February 9th and has stuck with the show since then. Thank you very much, Stephen. And Sadie J signed up way back on November 22nd and signed up for a full year in advance. Huge thanks to Sadie, Stephen, all the members, all the donors, everyone who makes the show possible. Uh, you guys know that if if I didn't have the support of the listeners, the, the way you guys chip in, um, I might be doing this like once a week uh, on a good week as a hobby. Uh, as it is, everyone gets to enjoy 10 episodes a month. You guys get bonus content uh, for the, you know, the members only. And, you know, it's what could possibly be more fun than this. So thanks to all of those listeners. Thanks to everyone who listens to the show. Of course, please continue to support the show just by telling your friends about it. It makes a huge difference just spreading the word that way. Of course, I don't have an advertising budget or anything, so this is all word of mouth. The only way to spread the word about the show is by you telling your friends that you love it. To follow the show between episodes, of course, join us on Facebook and Twitter. Lots of fun stuff goes on. Okay, that's an exaggeration. Sometimes fun things happen on Facebook and Twitter. You, you never know. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, check out the show notes on the blog. So coming to you finally from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, as I say, thanks entirely to you members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and Oh, oh, oh.